0: Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're a guest, and we're glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. If you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself. You'll get more information about The Well. And if you'd like to get my weekly email that I send out every Friday, just go to our website, wellchurch.org. If you scroll to the bottom of the page, you can fill out the form there to get my weekly email. Thanks for being with us today, and today is a big day. Uh, for The Well. Uh, Today is the return to in-person and online worship uh, at The Well. Since the COVID lockdown began, we've been almost exclusively online. And today we are returning to in-person worship at Hancock Elementary in Chandler. And we also understand that there are many folks who don't feel safe going to in-person worship yet. And there are folks who don't live anywhere around uh, Phoenix, Arizona, who have become a part of our congregation. We want you to know if you're online with us, we love you and we value you and you are every bit as important as, uh, as people who are in person. Uh, we're in a new reality now that uh, COVID has shown us that community is not dependent on geography. No matter where you live, you can be a part of a community uh, where you feel loved and accepted and you're a valuable part of that church. So thank you for being with us. Now today, what you're going to see is a pre-recorded version of the sermon that Aaron Stritzel is giving live in Chandler right now and our hope is over the next few weeks that this online service will actually become a live stream from the service at Hancock Elementary it's trickier than it sounds when you're a portable church to make that happen and so we're experimenting right now uh, to make that live stream uh, from the actual service at Hancock Elementary work correctly and be reliable and high quality For folks uh, who are part of our church in the online service so thanks for being with us today especially on this this big day in the wells history next week i'm excited to announce we have special guest amy price who's going to be giving the message Uh, amy is a united methodist pastor in ohio she and i went to seminary together and uh, she's going to be giving uh, the last message in the ten commandments series uh, you shall not covet and so we're excited to welcome amy Next week, and then the week after that, we're starting a brand new sermon series called Vintage Jesus Spotting the Authentic Jesus in a World of Newly Invented Fakes. Uh, it seems that there are a lot of versions of Jesus that have been made up recently to try to support this cause, or folks, you know, try to create Jesus in their own image to support this agenda. And so, we're going to be talking about several kinds of fake Jesus's in American culture but what the series really is is a study on parables. Parables are stories that illustrate a spiritual point and the scripture says that Jesus often taught in parables and so what we want to do in this series is discover the real Jesus. The Jesus we read about in the Gospels through his own teaching through the parables that he used uh, as he taught and so We're excited about this series. It's going to be a six-week series. And so after uh, Amy Price is here on July 25th, it starts August 1st, this new series, Vintage Jesus. So right now, uh, we're going to continue our series on the Ten Commandments with the Ninth Commandment today. And we're welcoming Aaron Stritzel live in Chandler. And Aaron's going to give the message here in our online service on you shall not bear false witness or you shall not bear false testimony. So let's welcome Aaron now to continue the series in the Ten Commandments. Well hello, my name is Aaron Stritzel. It's great to be with you all here at The
1: Well today. We continue on our sermon series as we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, trying to understand them in their context, really focusing on this idea that when we understand them in their context, they can still be helpful for us today. So we continue on the ninth command, you shall not give false testimony. In high school I had a friend Actually, she was a friend of a friend. She's still a friend, but I wanted to hang out with this girl because I liked her, and this other girl tagged along with her all the time. So I got to know her, and she was fun and nice. But over time, what became apparent is that she would lie. And so we sat down with her, wondering like, okay, what's going on here? Because you told me this, and then you told her this, and what's happening? And what we found out is what started off as sort of like innocent, like we all do sometimes, exaggerate the truth a little bit to make ourselves look good, it had become a sort of chronic way of living. Like she just lied for no apparent reason other than to make stuff up. And what we've realized, even as high schoolers, realized that trust is the vital foundation for any healthy relationship. Like when you can't trust somebody and what they're saying, there's no relationship there, it kind of fragments. And relationships are key to us being thriving human beings. Bernie Brown, one of my favorite authors, This is one of my favorite quotes, and she really summarizes this idea of belonging and relationships and the importance here. She says this, We are biologically, cognitively, physically, spiritually wired to love, be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to be. The absence of love and belonging will always lead to suffering. When we don't feel loved and belonging, we don't have healthy relationships, it leads to some form of suffering. We feel fragmented, we feel disconnected. It's hardwired in our DNA, this idea to love and belong. Did you ever know somebody that you couldn't trust? Did you ever know a politician that you felt like lied so many times that you couldn't trust what they were saying? Lies and falsity are dangerous for relationships, but also for society because truth is central for any relationship, but truth is also central for any society to thrive because without truth, you don't have any foundation which to build upon. How can you work together with me if you don't trust me? How can we grow together if you don't trust me? How can we build a community together if there's no trust? Yes, trust is earned over time and it can be taken away quickly. Perhaps you've known or uh, had the unfortunate experience uh, of having your trust be broken and an intimate relationship. Now, no one I don't think would accuse me of being a conservative, but I don't think conservatives get everything wrong. Just like I don't think progressives get everything right. Conserve just simply means there's certain things that we need to conserve to take with us as we progress. There's certain things we need to let go of, but there's certain things we need to continue to embrace. Marriage, and a commitment to another person, while extremely difficult, and I don't mean to shame anybody because I've seen and experienced it myself, it's hard, it's hard work. And it only takes one person to break that trust. And yet I do agree with conservatives that the institution of marriage is a core foundation for the rest of our society. For if we have broken relationships in those intimate spaces, how can we build a healthy society together? The command to not give false testimony is really about laying the foundation upon which to build a healthy society so that all can thrive. There was an NPR article in 2018 written where they interviewed a professor of cognitive, linguistic, and psychological sciences at Brown University, Dr. Stephen Sloman, who wrote a book, by the way, The Knowledge Illusion, Why We Never Think of Alone. This idea that we are we think collaboratively in community. We think with other creatures. We're social. We're sort of wired in together in, in many ways. But he wrote this and published this article with 15 other co-authors, 16 total, on fake news. Perhaps you've heard of this idea of fake news, unless you know, you've know you lived under a rock, you have. Dr. Sloman suggests that probably from the dawn of time, we've told lies and deceived and yet it's more acute today for three specific reasons. Number one, technology. We have technology at our fingertips all the time and there's so much of it that it doesn't have to be true. If you get enough likes, if you get enough views and it goes viral, the truth of it doesn't really matter, which is kind of a scary thought, right? The second thing is information overload. There's so much out there that it's hard to keep up with, right, we don't know, is it true, is it false, We, we can't, Always tell it's even hard for fact-checkers to keep up with everything especially during seasons like elections right where there's constant fact-checking of you can't keep up with everything at least not in real time and the third thing is echo chambers because there's so many so many ways to get our news or information whether through media and diverse media or uh, through the internet or through TikTok, right? I mean, anywhere, right? There's so many ways. We can literally find places that confirm our own bias. We all know there's something called confirmation bias, right? So now it's easy to watch news outlets to get our news. For example, you think the earth is flat? Well, you can find groups and articles that confirm that bias. You never have to be forced to face that it might not be true. It's scary to think about, right? And hopefully you can see how destructive and dangerous this sort of thing is. What do we do about it? What, how do we move forward? How, how do we help our society? Well, Jesus once said this, You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, I used to interpret this passage as the truth being the truth of who Jesus was. If I believe the right things about Jesus, then I will be set free. And that's what the truth was that Jesus was talking about here. Well, let's go a verse before that, John eight thirty one, which says this, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus speaking to people who were already believers, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, if you continue in this path, if you continue to walk and listen to the teachings and follow these things, to love your neighbor, to not bear false witness or or false testimony, if you continue to do these things, then this truth will set you all free. Let's step back and look at, yes, the Bible, but let's look at all of history. And one of the things that have helped me understand history—I uh, I can geek out on this, so I'll try not to go, you know, too geeky with you—but is through, like, sort of developmental understandings. Now, we know that we've developed physically, but integral psychology and developmental understandings suggest this—that humans have been evolving and thus growing, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, cognitively, since we first appeared on this planet— That we don't see the world in the same way, that we've been kind of growing. As a child grows up individually and becomes, moves through like adolescence and then adulthood, we do the same as a species as well. Uh, One of these sort of um, models, you could say, is spiral dynamics. Perhaps you've heard of it. Here's an image right there and basically spiral dynamics without diving too deeply on it, again, I could geek out with this, suggests that as we move up, you see the spiral, you see those different color codings on there, that those are different perspectives, often called stages of consciousness. Think of it as a different worldview. And you'll notice that the the spiral gets bigger the higher we go. And the basic premise is this, as humans grow throughout history, even as we grow individually throughout our lives, we grow, we become more inclusive. We, come, we kind of create more space. We, we, we gain more information, gain more understanding. We become more inclusive, but also it brings with it greater complexity. The world is more complex today than it was just a hundred years ago. Think of all the things that we're, we're trying to wrestle with now that was just not on the radar. Some of those things are good, like human sexuality or gender or racism. Some of these things are really good. And some of them are hard, like environmental crisis, right? Like the, the, the impending doom of a, a real apocalypse that could happen at some point in the future. Our world is far more complex now. So perhaps you've been in a conversation with somebody. Like I found myself in many conversations like this over the years, where we're both talking about God. And what we find is that their view of God is not my view of God at all. In fact, we could be using different words because they think of God in one way and I think of God in another way, which, by the way, I think is why part of, uh, at least part of the reason why people don't like the word God and struggle with it because God, for many people, means this angry old man in the sky who's ready to judge everybody and cast everybody to hell. And that just doesn't resonate with people anymore or perhaps you've been talking in conversation with somebody about a certain political issue a hot button topic whatever say wearing masks and one person might say you know i value my individual freedom so much i really don't want to wear a mask like this is my right why why are they encroaching on me what what's going to come next right are they going to take away you name it, fill in the blank there, right? Now, maybe they'll wind up wearing a mask at a peer pressure, but they're going to push back. Some people won't, right? Well, you have other people who, okay, well, this is the science. This is the research. These are the experts telling me, okay, I take that information. Will I wear a mask? Yeah. If it's going to help the common good, yeah. I'll limit my individual freedom. They, these are just one example of two different stages of consciousness, two different ways of viewing the world, and we're bumping up into that all the time. Let's look at this through, through the lens of the Bible, too. Let's take Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark, we probably all know the story. Growing up, I, I heard it time and time again, but as a young adult, I began to wonder, well, God is all loving, all knowing, all good, created the world, and then just sent this massive flood. It seems like he was kind of in a bad mood, ticked off, and killed a bunch of people, and destroyed hundreds of thousands of innocent animals. Like what is going on here? Well, when understood through a sort of ancient lens, their level of consciousness and how they understood the world, the, the world was very simple back then in, in three tier universe where the earth was flat and the gods were right above in the sky somewhere, literally just up there a few hundred feet. And when it rained, the gods would open up a window and send rain down to sort of bless the, the crops and, and the earth. And when it didn't rain, well, you begin to wonder, like, what did we do wrong? Do we need to sacrifice? Do we need to appease the gods in some way? And if the gods were really angry, you did something really wrong. Well, they might just send a flood, right? Now, is this the way I understand God today? No, it's not. But can I still value and read and learn from this ancient story that's maybe 3,500 years old? Yeah, absolutely. I can understand because this is about my story, right? I've been shaped by a collective, what, what uh, Carl Jung might call um, collective unconscious. These stories and symbols have shaped us. This is about humans trying to make sense because we're purpose-making people. We're trying to make sense. So we tell stories and it's always shaped through our own worldview. It doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't mean we should chuck it all out because I guarantee you and I do not have a perfect worldview right now. And I'm sure I'm grateful that God seems to be working even in the midst of our imperfections and lack of a perfect world view. The command, you shall not give false testimony, is really about this idea of a newly freed group of people saying, how do we build a society? How do we treat each other? Well, we don't lie. We don't give false testimony. We learn to love others. We build the foundation off of trust. Well, here's a question. Does our nation trust each other right now? There, there is a book written by Ken Wilber um, titled "Trump in a Post-Truth World." Um, it is, I think, a must-read. Uh, it is amazing. Now I know there is this pushback, and I get it. I'm right there with you. Where it's like, hey, we're over Trump. That was, you know, 2000. That was in the past. Come on, let's live now. We're in a new. We got a new president. We have something new. Let's, you know, just move on but I think we do a disservice if we don't reflect back. And first of all, acknowledge that it's not over. What happened is gonna shape our future for sure. But it also brings to light, we can look back and and ask some questions to try to make sense, to try to understand what really happened. Well, we we are very divided, right? Ken Wilber, he says, he writes this, he says, a country in which 50% of the population flat out hates the other 50% is not a country that can move forward with any sort of grace. Dignity and integrity, then that is exactly where the United States of America finds itself right now. Where half the country hates the other half. Kind of harsh language, but he's on to something, right? And the premise is this understanding that we develop as the spiral, we move up, understanding that, well, we can't continue that if we're fighting and bickering against each other and we hate one another. The command to not give false testimony against your neighbor suggests that you don't hate them. You don't have to agree, but it does suggest you don't hate them to not give false testimony. This is why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? He responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Summarize basically the 10 commandments. All all 613 of the Hebrew Bible commandments Summarize everything in that way and says it is important how you treat other people. Absolutely important. It might be easy for us today to look back on what happened in 2016, sort of a post-truth world, and blame conservatives, blame the quote unquote other, those people that we might say don't see the world the same way. However, what Ken Wilber suggests is it wasn't conservatives, it was actually progressives that lived in unhealthy ways. Now here's the, the image of the spiral again. You see the top image there is the green. Before we go into what is called integral or maybe second tier, that's not important right now, but this top image, you see the green, is really about postmoderns. Other words that we could use to describe this is progressive, pluralistic, individualistic, multicultural. People who value inclusivity and diversity. This green uh, worldview really came into the scene in a major way in the 1960s, right? Chances are, if you're watching this, you're in that green meme, that green worldview, that postmodern progressive worldview. So what Wilbur suggests was actually, it wasn't sort of red or warrior, or black and white thinkers or fundamentalists that caused this. It was unhealthy progressives. What exactly? Well, he writes this, he says, when the leading edge, the green postmoderns, has no idea where it's going, then it naturally doesn't know where to go. When no direction is true because there is no truth, and this is the crux of the struggle of postmodern progressives, then no direction can be favored and thus no direction is taken. The process just comes to a screeching halt. It jams, it collapses, it turns in on itself, suggesting that the unhealth of postmoderns is that they say there is no truth. Truth is all relative, it's all a perspective. And, And there is some truth to those things. Yes, I see the world through my own experience, but, is it right for me to lie to my neighbor and hurt them? Or, is it true that it's better for me to be honest? Jesus didn't mince words. He pointed away and said, this is the right path. This is the way forward. And what Ken Wilbur is arguing is, when you have this sort of leading edge and people are meant to go up and become more inclusive and progress And the leading edge is saying, eh, it doesn't matter. Your truth is my truth and it all is equal and it doesn't really matter. And chaos begins to unfold. You have people that begin to almost go back and say, I want something. I want a powerful leader that's going to tell me where to go and how to get it done and where it is. Give me some sort of clarity. Make things make sense again. Well, that's exactly what Trump did for a whole lot of people. This isn't really an anti-Trump sermon, and so I apologize that I've said his name many times, but this is really a critique of people like you and I. How do we hold our truth in healthy ways? How do we grow and give grace to other people, but yet point to truth? Uh, By the way, another way of understanding this, perhaps a simpler way, is is the unfolding of a worldview through three stages, egocentric, ethnocentric, and world-centric. Also suggesting that as we come, we're born into this world, we're very egocentric. Change my diaper, you know. wash my face, you know, clean off my spit, whatever that is. We're egocentric for much of our childhood, early childhood. At some point in our adolescence especially, we begin to shift to become more ethnocentric. Where it's about my family, my tribe, my religion, my country. I mean, it, it kind of grows a little bit from there. And Ken Wilber suggests that 60%. Of the population is is at that ethnocentric level now that's better than egocentric but getting stuck there can be dangerous and and moving to a world-centric space begins to say oh my gosh it's not just about my country or my race or my religion it is more about all of us there there's there's a different world view going on here see this is why I, i think communities faith communities like the well are so vital and important at the well the well is a place where you are free to express both your faith and your doubts so you can grow spiritually to become your best self and you partner with god to make a difference in your life if faith communities like the well are important because they move and help move people beyond a sort of ethnocentric ethnocentric isn't bad it's a part of the growth process but getting stuck there is problematic especially when you're faced with world problems, problems that affect all species, all nations. We need to start thinking differently, not just about our nation. This is why, by the way, I think we're, we're faced with nationalism and white supremacy and all sorts of racism is coming out and gender issues, right? Is Because for so long we've been stuck at this sort of ethnocentric stage. And I would argue actually that a lot of churches are there. A lot of churches are there and this is why people are leaving because they're saying well it's not just there's no way you have the whole truth and everybody else doesn't have anything there's no way that you could be arrogant enough to think that you are going to hell heaven while everybody else is damned to hell Uh, come on let's get serious here let's let's think about everybody else in, in different ways and I would argue this is why faith communities and as much as I struggle with church and institution and religion Faith communities, I still think, are important and helpful when they help us move. This is what I think Jesus called the kingdom of God, is this movement to greater inclusivity, greater love, where your neighbor isn't just your family, your religion, your nation. Your neighbor moves beyond the borders, right? It moves beyond all this. This is why I believe that communities like the well, when you give, when you participate, when you help, when you show up, you're helping cultivate this community. Because again, we're belonging creatures. We wanna belong to something. So we're belonging to things that help cultivate that growth. That hopefully we're not just angry, um, ignorant um, uh, liberals who are shouting, who are known for what we're against. Hopefully we're not just deconstructing and I think that's a part of the unhealth of the green is it's really good at deconstructing. It's really good at saying, this is where we got it wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. But in order for us to move forward, we need to reconstruct something. And that's what faith communities like The Well are trying to do. Create space to allow people to ask those questions, to deconstruct, and also say, but, and this is coming back to Ken kind of there is a better way forward. There is a right, true way forward that it it might look differently based on your nationality, based on your geography it might look differently but there is a better way forward let's explore that together and close with this quote from brian mclaren who wrote this book that i would highly suggest along with trump in a post-truth world uh brian mclaren's newest book faith after doubt and he talks about four stages of faith and suggests that most churches and most Christians, at least, are stuck at stage one and stage two. But we need communities and groups like the well and others who help people navigate beyond those stages to think more inclusively, to think more in world-centric ways. But he writes this, which I find very inspiring. He says this, All, or nearly all of the pieces are in place for the theological revolution we need. I leave you with that that all or nearly all of the pieces are in place. That every time you show up, every time you give, every time you participate, every time you discuss here, we're a part of that revolution. We're a part of helping people grow up, helping people love our neighbor more, helping build a stronger society. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your gracious patience with us as individuals and us as a collective that over millennia you are patient with working within our worldview. that we mess up we've messed up so many times yes we think about our own individual needs or our own tribe needs or our own race's needs or our own nation's needs and yet you're working through your spirit to bring about greater, more world-centric views. God, as people of faith, help us to partner with you in that unfolding, to not be in the unhealthy, progressive, postmodern view, but to, to be able to create space for people, to love and compassion, but also to push for greater truth in the midst of all that. We invite your spirit to help us in this process as we work together in this. In your name we pray. Amen.